decided the Congressional Black Caucus said the Supreme Court has thrown into question its own legitimacy. Is this a rogue court? This is not a normal court. No. No, it ain't. This is not a normal court. It's a stolen one. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. And packed. I got the feeling that something ain't right. And corrupted. I'm too scared in case I fall off my chair. But not normal. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Didn't used to be. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Maybe it's the new normal. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet and the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and... All around, swell fellows, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. we got, as usual, a lot to get to. Uh, a lot of sort of disparate stuff, including, yes, uh, one of the last opinions to be released this term by the far-right, packed, and corrupted U.S. Supreme Court, which has reverted, at least for today, it seems back to form after several stunning, surprisingly good rulings in recent weeks on a number of things, most notably on democracy and voting rights at the end of what is uh, considered its 2022 term, which wraps up almost certainly by the end of June. But uh, first, uh, Desi Doyen, uh, you'll be uh, delighted to know. In ha- in, well, I was going to say in happier news, but no. Uh, some news uh, from my new favorite website. Favorite because it is so hilariously in denial of reality. Do you know what it is, <laughs> no, Desi Doyen? I, I look forward to hearing <laughs> about it. That would be the foxweather.com uh, yes, website. Yes. Where nary a word of climate change shall ever grace the pages. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is Fox News's version of reporting on extreme weather without, you're right, mentioning a peep about what is causing any of these now seemingly nonstop weather meltdowns we're having around the nation uh, and the world. An estimated 100 million Americans, they report, were under air quality alerts on Wednesday, 111 million. Uh, Due to wildfire smoke, as alerts stretched over 1,000 miles from Iowa to Massachusetts and down through the Carolinas 
and Georgia. And in fact, as Desi Doyen notes uh, on our latest Green News report a little bit later today, yep. uh, all the way over to Europe, even not just here in the United States. Cities such as Chicago, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia all experienced poor air quality and reduced visibility as wildfire smoke continues to filter into the U.S. from Canada. It is leading Fox Weather notes to unhealthy and very unhealthy air quality levels. A northerly to northwesterly flow over dozens of wildfires in uh, southern Canada. They write there are actually hundreds of them, not just dozens. Uh, That is helping to usher in smoke over the Northeast and Great Lakes on Thursday with health alerts in effect for many communities. Reductions in visibility couldn't come at a worse time for air passengers, Fox weather relents, as AAA expects record travel for the Independence Day weekend. If visibilities are reduced enough, air traffic control towers can change operations to allow more space between aircraft. That leads to delays. And while Fox did not note it in their coverage. In fact, thousands of flights have already been canceled or rescheduled over the past week or more because of varying forms of extreme weather now slamming much of the nation. Well, see, if you acknowledge that it's a broader economic impact, then you Ah, might have to talk about what's causing that. That's right. And because if there's anything that Fox cares about, it's economic impacts, unless it's You know, uh, something that affects the economic impact of their own wallets, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Observation sites in the New York City metro area reported an AQI of around 405 in June, setting a new modern record for the poorest air. The AQI is the Air Quality Index. It's a scale that starts at zero and it runs to 500 with values of 50 or below representing cleaner air and values of 300 considered to be hazardous. And again, New York City has reported an AQI of higher than 400 this month. Nearly 120 million Americans were under various air quality alerts or warnings on Thursday with about 111 million due to the fine particulates from wildfire smoke, according to the Fox Forecast Center. Quote, air quality is unhealthy in every corner of the state of New York, said Governor Kathy Hochul in a news conference on Thursday. Wildfires, she said, from more than 500 miles away continue to burn, and we're feeling the impact right here in real time in our city and in our state. The truth is, she says, there is no end in sight. Referring to the wildfires, states expected to see unhealthy air values on Thursday include Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Vermont, and the District of Columbia and other states even further south as the smoke continues to drift. In uh, D.C., they issued a code red air quality alert in the Washington area because of the wildfire smoke and advise residents to stay indoors if possible. But as usual, for this foxweather.com website, there is not one single word, not one, about why these fires are so bad this year, what is causing uh, both them and now the third week in a row of all-time record high temperatures in Texas, which have spread northward, bringing 
unbearable and deadly heat and severe deadly storms along with it. Desi Doyen, would you like to uh, let our right-wing Fox News listeners know uh, very quickly why this is happening this summer? Uh, and, and, you know, we, we do get a lot of these uh, folks hate listening to our show. So, <laughs> it, you know, it, what it is that they are not hearing from their favorite fake news outlets. They are not hearing that absolutely, yes, climate change is a factor intensifying these extreme weather events from excess heat to extreme drought to really record wildfires. Uh, because mm. climate change is race, raising the baseline temperature of the entire planet, that means it's hotter everywhere and that intensifies when we get extreme weather events like heat waves and droughts and fires the uh, extra dry and unusually hot weather that's hitting Canada is what is driving their extreme wildfires the worst wildfire season on record and what exactly is causing this climate change is it just because the earth is uh, (laughs) uh, facing the sun more than usual these days Uh, what what exactly is causing that climate change to be it's humanity directed. burning fossil fuels. Oh, that is by far really? the biggest primary cause of the baseline temperature of the planet going up. By the way, when I went to the uh, story at foxweather.com, a red alert popped up over it reading, quote, Breaking news, life-threatening storms with 100-mile-per-hour winds rip across Midwest as severe weather outbreaks develop. Uh, as usual, no explanation whatsoever as to the root cause of those 100-mile-per-hour winds ripping across the Midwest today. Oh, well, just crazy weather, I guess. Uh, But for the record, especially for the uh, disinformed Fox News dupes out there, as Dana Nuccitelli over at uh, Yale Climate Connection notes today in a story that Fox folks definitely will not be reading or even hearing about regarding, uh, uh, as his headline describes, uh, quote, global warming is disrupting humanity's Goldilocks zone on Earth Two dangerous consequences of the fast changes now happening in our climate crisis were described in a new study published in the journal Nature Sustainability. First, large populations find their home regions shifting outside of the Goldilocks zone that scientists call the climate niche. Uh, that, as Nuccitelli describes it, is the, uh, ide- the those ideal conditions that enabled uh, humanity to develop advanced agriculture, build cities, invent industry and advanced technology. But after relatively stable surface temperatures during the past 7000 years, suddenly global warming is now rapidly disrupting the reliable climate that allowed humanity to flourish. So what does that mean? Well, uh, second, writes Nuccitelli, risks are growing more dangerous. Uh, Extreme heat events like the 2021 heat wave that caused over 1,000 deaths in Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. But the study also shows that making the right moves now will help immeasurably. And here's the key point. For every tenth of a degree of global warming that society can avoid, more than 100 million people will remain in a more favorable climate, will remain in the Goldilocks zone. So, yeah, we always uh, we often hear about the, the need to prevent a rise of just one and a half degrees Celsius over pre-industrial times in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change, a target that we now 
you know, look pretty certain to blow past, I think. Am I right about that? Oh, yes. So you'll hear, uh, you know, some of the Fox folks say, if they ever talk about this at all, oh, you know, 1.5 degrees, that's all we're talking about? That's a tiny change. Well, in fact... Uh, that's about uh, 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, which still sounds kind of tiny for a global average. But this new study explains how each increase of just 0.1 degree moves 100 million people out of that Goldilocks zone. So prevent each tenth of a percent uh, of, of a degree, uh, according to Nucitelli, uh, could go a long way toward preventing the problems that the study authors foresee, like mounting risks of disease, less productive agriculture, labor, and rising risks of violence, unrest, and mass migration. I guess Fox News is going to have to set up uh, another website called foxdisease.com, <laughs> foxmigration.com. Can't believe they haven't set that one up already. So they can avoid talking about the actual causes. You know, or we could just you know keep pretending that none of this is happening because it's good for the oil, gas, and coal industries who financially support Republican politicians that Fox News is corporate owners like and who they hope to keep in power so that the rich people can keep getting huge tax breaks, which they can then use to avoid for themselves the worst effects of climate change, while Fox News viewer suckers swelter, choke and die. That's in a nutshell what this is about, period. Anyway, a bit more on all of this, as noted, in our latest GNR coming up a bit later this hour. But, hey, uh, stay safe out there, y'all. Please. Yes, and also remember that uh, smoke, wildfire smoke, is uh, tends to trend closer to the ground. And when it does, that makes it harder to breathe, even for healthy people. So be sure to check your local air quality index. Or if you go out, make sure you fly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, another story here that uh, I'll have to yell at people about. I, I think I mentioned this as as the week began, that following the 24-hour mutiny in Russia by uh, Evgeny Prigozhin, uh, the longtime close ally of Vladimir Putin and the head of the mercenary Wagner Group uh, army in Ukraine last week, and after Prigozhin uh, this this mutiny took place, I, and I talked about it after he had declared that the entire premise of Putin's imperialistic assault on its sovereign neighbor neighbor was a lie. That the invasion of Ukraine by Russia was never about demilitarizing Ukraine. It was not about denazifying Ukraine, as Putin had claimed, but uh, just a scam to help. Russia's defense minister get a promotion, as Prigozhin described it. And as I believe I mentioned, my hope was that at least that revelation from a longtime top Putin ally might perhaps help uh, the scales sort of fall from the eyes of many on the right, but also far too many on the supposed anti-war left who have been simply conned by Putin and by the American right into opposing Ukraine's right to defend itself against Russia and to stand up for democracy in Europe as it faces a threat from Putin's autocracy, unlike anything that we have seen in Europe since Hitler's rise to power in the early part of last century. Well, 
here's the good news. A new poll out on Wednesday from Reuters Ipsos suggests happily that that may indeed now be the case as American support for the Biden administration's policy of supporting Ukraine has apparently just seen a huge bump in the days since that 24-hour mutiny in, in Russia and Prigozhin's declaration that the whole thing was a con from the jump. Solid majorities of Americans of uh, independence and both parties uh, solid majorities uh, from all of the above support providing weaponry to Ukraine to defend itself against Russia, according to this new Reuters Ipsos survey. The two day poll that was conducted on Tuesday created a uh, uh, con- concluded on Tuesday, uh, chartered a um, a sharp rise in backing for arming Ukraine, with 65% of the respondents approving of the shipments, compared with just 46% in a poll in May. So that would be a nearly 20-point rise since the previous poll. 81% of Democrats favor supplying U.S. weapons to Ukraine, according to this poll, the latest one, along with majorities of both Republicans at 56% and independents at 57%. The survey was conducted just days after Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner uh, Wagner Wagner <laughs> mercenary company, launched and then called off the mutiny over what he charged uh, was the Russian Defense Ministry's mishandling of the war in Ukraine. The findings, according to Reuters, appeared to provide firmer backing for U.S. President Joe Biden's policy of doing, quote, whatever it takes to assist Ukraine in recapturing territory that Russia seized in its initial assault in 2014 and its full-scale invasion 16 months ago. Quote, this definitely reinforces Biden's decision to be all in on this, according to William Taylor, a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now with the U.S. Institute of Peace. The Republican leadership of the House and Senate will also take heart from this, said Taylor, even as some right wing Republican lawmakers have opposed continuing U.S. military support to Ukraine. And as noted, too many on the far left who have been conned by those foolish enough, I guess, to be have been manipulated by Russian propaganda. To be clear, I oppose wars launched by imperialistic aggressors, whether those imperialistic aggressors are, you know, the U.S. in Iraq, for instance, or Russia in Ukraine. This is an easy call. And yet I'm still amazed and disturbed by so many on the left who seem to have been hypnotized or something into into buying. I, I know it's just a coincidence into buying the exact same framing of the war that Vladimir Putin has been selling. Total coincidence. But there you go. Or, you know, there are others who like to say, well, I disagree with Putin. But I'm, I'm worried that this will turn into a nuclear confrontation in Europe. Which, by the way, is also coincidentally exactly what Putin has been repeating over and over again. I know it's just a coincidence. So it's interesting. You know, I, I hear from a lot of folks via email 
to bradcast at bradblog.com. Folks who are on the left but who oppose arming Ukraine to help them defend themselves from this horrific attack and this rise of authoritarianism, again, in Europe, who don't seem to remember the rise of actual Nazism from, you know, less than 100 years ago, which plunged the world into a war. I often ask them, you know, if they oppose Biden's policy of bringing NATO together and the West together to allow Ukraine to fight for themselves and for democracy for all of us, how would they like to see things play out at this point? And at that point, you know, they get much less specific all of a sudden. The, the favorite line is we need a ceasefire and negotiations. Well, that is swell. And if Ukraine wishes to have a ceasefire and negotiate over how much of their country they are willing to give away to a foreign invader, invaders, that's fine. Uh, you know, how much of our country? Would you be willing to give away to a foreign nation that launched an all-out invasion in the U.S.? Just a piece of it. Let's, let's negotiate. You can have some of it. You can have South Dakota and Florida. Uh, because that's what negotiations at this point would be about. How much does Russia get to keep of Ukraine? So, you know, if, if your home, your, your actual home, was invaded by violent marauders who killed members of your family and occupied parts of your house, you know, say, let's several rooms. Would you be willing to negotiate with them to, you know, cease fire? Let's call it off. Call off all the violence. Let's negotiate. Let them keep just, you know, one or two rooms in your house to avoid any further bloodshed. Would that be cool? Because that is the scenario that the ceasefire and negotiate folks seem to be calling for. Now, if you know, by the way, if that's what the homeowners, Ukraine, actually want, well, I'm all for it. I'm happy to support them. But that is their call. That is not our call. And in the meantime, our interests in democracy, in the stability of our allies in Europe and elsewhere across the world are very much at stake. You know, North Korea has nuclear weapons, too. If they decide to invade South Korea, would it be uh, simply a matter of negotiating with them to decide how much of South Korea that North Korea gets to keep for its own? Why not? They have they have nuclear weapons, after all, as I'm cons consistently reminded by the ceasefire and negotiate folks who, oddly enough, seem to. Stop replying to my emails after I ask them how much of Ukraine that they believe Russia should be allowed to keep if there's a ceasefire and negotiation. That's usually when they stop replying to my emails. Yes, I am still anti-war, but I am also pro-protecting oneself and one's family and one's home from violent invaders. Uh, you know, and that so many folks on the left have fallen for Putin's propaganda remains a great disappointment. I'm I'm like I'm unlikely to help convince anyone in the Fox News right of anything, whether it's the existence of the uh, existential menace of climate change across the globe or the existential menace of rising autocracy across the globe. I might, however, be able to reach some on the left or at least, uh, you know, people who should be reach reachable, even if they've been lost in this fog of right-wing and Putin propaganda, 
somehow at this point, some of these folks who maybe just maybe can find their way out of that fog. I'm trying to help. All right. Uh, The Reuters Ipsos poll also finds that 76 percent of Americans believe that providing aid to Ukraine demonstrates to U.S. rivals that the U.S. has, quote, the will and capability to protect our interests, our allies and ourselves. And by the way, in addition to being morally correct, support for Ukraine and the NATO alliance in this circumstance happens to be good politics as well. Other findings in the survey say that large majorities of Americans, 67 percent and 73 percent, respectively, are more likely to support a candidate in next year's U.S. presidential election who will continue military aid to Ukraine. That's 67 percent and one who backs the NATO alliance by 73 percent of a majority on those folks on those points. I I suspect quite a few uh, Well, quite a few GOP candidates who have also fallen for Putin's propaganda or Trump's propaganda, which is pretty much the same thing at this point, may want to rethink their own positions on all of this. But who am I to tell them what to do? All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some news from the federal courts, both good and unfortunately bad today as the Supreme Court wraps up its term. That's straight ahead, along with the Green News report and maybe if time a fun song to end things up, a, a, a new spin on an old tune before we, we get the hell out of here for the holiday. On today's broadcast, that's all straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's Brad Cast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right. Well, we've sort of been uh, expecting something exactly like this in a sprawling 237-page opinion full of multiple dissents and concurrences that will likely be debated for years. A divided Supreme Court overturned more than 40 years of precedent on Thursday with all of the court's right-wingers voting to strike down the use of affirmative action in college admissions, declaring, despite the success of the policy for decades, that race simply cannot be a factor in admissions at uh, colleges and universities, forcing institutions of higher education to now look for new ways to achieve diverse student bodies. Notably, the court, by the way, did not strike down the use of things like, you know, legacy legacy students or donations by their parents in, in college admissions. The uh, court's right-wing majority effectively overturned cases reaching back 45 years in invalidating admissions plans at Harvard 
and the University of North Carolina in a rule that will apply to every private and public college and university throughout the nation, except, I would add, oddly enough, military academies, which for some reason are exempted for reasons that are not entirely clear to me yet. In any event, like last year's momentous abortion ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade, the decision marked the realization of a long-sought right-wing legal goal in finding reasons to declare that somehow race-conscious admissions plans violate the U.S. Constitution. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts said, uh, writing for the majority, said that for too long universities have, quote, concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Our constitutional history, he said, does not tolerate that choice. I would suggest that a false choice, but that's what Robert said. Harvard's and UNC's admissions programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, he wrote. He was joined by the rest of the right-wing justices. Justice Sonia Sotomayor dissented, joined by Justice Elena Kagan in full and Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson in part because Jackson had recused herself from Harvard's case due to her own ties to the school. If you can imagine a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court doing the right thing. What a concept. I know. Justices Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch all wrote their own concurring opinions. The vote was six to three in the North Carolina case, six to two in the Harvard case at the stolen and packed right wing court. Roberts spends considerable time critiquing the liberals dissents at one point saying of Sotomayor's position that the programs uh, where she says the program should continue. Robert says, quote, that is a remarkable view of the judicial role, remarkably wrong. Wow. Getting a little testy there. Meow. She writes, the uh, court cements a superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. She says the court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection by further entrenching racial inequality in education, the very foundation of our democratic government and pluralistic society. Ketanji Brown-Jackson devotes much of her dissent to tracking the many inequalities that still plague black Americans, from lagging homeownership to the persistent wealth and income gaps between black and white families, a legacy of which, of course, continues the disadvantages that people of color have in getting ahead and getting their foot in the door, including at colleges and universities, even with affirmative action in place. Quote, writes Sotomayor, with, quote, uh, with let them eat cake obliviousness today, the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. <laughs> Both Thomas and Sotomayor, the two justices who have acknowledged affirmative action played a role in their admissions to colleges and law school, took the unusual step of reading summaries of their opinions aloud in the courtroom. In her separate dissent, 
Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the court's first black female justice, called the decision, quote, truly a tragedy for us all. In his concurrence, Thomas, the nation's second black justice, offers a, quote, originalist defense of the colorblind Constitution, including, ridiculously enough, the amendments that were written specifically with race in mind after the Civil War. Uh, you know, as he could be heard pulling up the very ladder that helped him, but I guess nobody hereafter get to the highest court in the land. Very thoughtful. Gorsuch writes in his own concurrence, quote, just as there is no question Harvard and UNC consider race in their admissions process, there is no question both schools intentionally treat some applicants worse than others because of their race. While the majority knocked down the school's use of race as one of many factors in determining eligibility, Roberts uh, does allow for some consideration of applicants' race in the process. He writes, quote, nothing prohibits universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected the applicant's life. Oh, okay. So long as that discussion is concretely tied to a quality of character or unique ability that the particular applicant can contribute to the university. So they can talk about the the particular disadvantages that they have had because they were born black in America, but only in as much as they use it to explain, I guess... If we're trying to understand this opinion, uh, you know, use it to explain how this has given them, you know, great moral character and how they courage. overcame it. Yes. Uh, anyway, that was uh, perhaps uh, written to placate a, a concern that Jackson had the uh, that she had raised during the oral arguments last year in October when she had said, quote, now we're entertaining a rule in which some people can say the things they want about who they are and have that valued in the system. But other people are not going to be able to because they won't be able to reveal that they are Latina or African-American or whatever. She said, I'm worried that creates an inequality in the system. And apparently that's what Roberts is referring to with his sort of kind of maybe a little bit escape hatch here. Sotomayor dismisses his attempt to project moderation, calling it, quote, a false promise to save face. No one is fooled, she wrote. From the White House, President Joe Biden said he, quote, strongly disagreed with the court's ruling and urged colleges to seek other routes to diversity rather than to let this ruling be the last word, as he described it. He explained what affirmative action actually is and is not and uh, proposed new standards for colleges and universities to use in considering applications for admission that would continue to support diversity by allowing the conditions that students have faced in their life, quote, including racial discrimination in their uh, considerations for admission. He also notes that the uh, wealthy and the well-connected are still allowed for consideration at these schools before those who have faced disadvantages upon being born into a nation built on systemic racism. I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision. Many people wrongly believe that affirmative action allows unqualified students 
unqualified students to be admitted ahead of qualified students. This is not, this is not how college admissions work. Rather, colleges set out standards for admission, and every student, every student has to meet those standards. The way it works in practice is this. Colleges first establish a qualified pool of candidates based on meeting certain grade, test scores, and other criteria. Then and only then, it is from this pool of applicants, all of whom have already met the school standards, that the class is chosen after weighing a wide range of factors, among them being race. You know, I've always believed that one of the greatest strengths of America, you're tired of hearing me say it, is our diversity. But I believe that. I believe our colleges are stronger when they are racially diverse. Our nation is stronger because we are tapping into the full range of talent in this nation. I also believe that while talent, creativity, and hard work are everywhere across this country, not equal opportunity. It is not everywhere across this country. We cannot let this decision be the last word. While the court can render a decision, it cannot change what America stands for. America is an idea, an idea unique in the world, an idea of hope and opportunity, of possibilities, of giving everyone a fair shot, of leaving no one behind. We've never fully lived up to it, but we've never walked away from it either. We will not walk away from it now. We should never allow the country to walk away from the dream upon which it was founded. That opportunity is for everyone, not just a few. We need a new path forward. So today I want to offer some guidance to our nation's colleges as they review their admission systems after today's decision. Guidance that is consistent with today's decision. They should not abandon, let me say this again, they should not abandon their commitment to ensure student bodies of diverse backgrounds and experience that reflect all of America. What I propose for consideration is a new standard, where colleges take into account the adversity a student has overcome when selecting among qualified applicants. Students first have to be qualified applicants. Once that test is met, then adversity should be considered, including, including lack, uh, students' lack of financial means, because we know too few students of low-income families, whether in big cities or rural communities, are getting an opportunity to go to college. When the poor kid, when a poor kid, maybe the first in their family to go to college, gets the same grades and test scores as a wealthy kid, whose whole family's gone to the most elite colleges in the country, and whose path has been a lot easier, well, the kid who faced tougher challenges has demonstrated more grit, more determination, and that should be a factor that colleges should take into account in admissions. It means understanding the particular hardships that each individual student has faced in life, including racial discrimination that individuals have faced in their own lives. Because the truth is, we all know it, discrimination still exists in America. Discrimination still exists in America. Today's decision does not change that. Our nation, colleges, and universities should be engines of expanding opportunity through upward mobility. But today, too often, that's not the case. Today, for too many schools, the only people who benefit from the system are the wealthy and the well-connected. The odds have been stacked against working people for much too long. We need a higher education system that works for everyone. We can and must do better, and we will. Colleges and universities should continue their commitment to support, retain, and graduate the first students and classes. You know, and companies, companies who are already 
realizing the value of diversity, should not use this decision as an excuse to turn away from diversity either. We can't go backwards. You know, I know today's court decision is a severe disappointment to so many people, including me. But we cannot let the decision be a permanent setback for the country. We need to keep an open door of opportunities. We need to remember that diversity is our strength. We have to find a way forward. We need to remember that the promise of America is big enough for everyone to succeed. You know, that's the work of my administration. And I'm always going to fight for that. President Biden at the White House on Thursday following the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, the right-wingers on that court, to gut 45 years or so of precedent in affirmative action use in college admissions. Presidents of many colleges quickly issued statements on Thursday affirming their commitment to diversity regardless of the court's decision. Many said they're still assessing the impact Former Presidents Donald Trump and Barack Obama offered starkly different takes on the ruling. The decision marked, quote, a great day for America. Hmm. Can you tell which one said that? I think so. Uh, He said people with extraordinary ability and everything else necessary for success are finally being rewarded. That was Donald Trump on his social media network. President Obama said in a statement that affirmative action, quote, allowed generations of students like Michelle and me to prove that we belonged. Now it's up to all of us to give young people the opportunities they deserve and help students everywhere benefit from new perspectives. The uh, Supreme Court had twice upheld race-conscious college admissions programs over the past 20 years, including as recently as 2016, but I guess we can throw all of that out the window. That was before the three Trump appointees who were rammed onto the court. Lower courts also had upheld the programs at both UNC and Harvard, rejecting claims that the schools had discriminated against white and Asian American applicants. But the uh, Supreme Court at this point is just making stuff up as they go along. Nine states already prohibit any consideration of race in admissions to their public colleges and universities. So I guess this court conveniently only believes that some issues should be left up to states to decide. The end of affirmative action in higher education in California, Michigan, Washington State and elsewhere where it had already been prohibited uh, actually led to a steep drop in minority enrollment in those states leading public universities. Every U.S. college and university that the justices attended, except for one, urged the court to preserve race-conscious admissions. Those schools, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Notre Dame, and Holy Cross, joined briefs in uh, defense of Harvard and UNC's admissions plans. Only Justice Amy Coney Barrett's undergraduate alma mater, Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, was not involved in the cases. But, of course, she joined her right-wing brethren, nonetheless, in removing the latter. So, you know, so many have needed to help overcome centuries of systemic and continuing racism in this nation as the far-right judicial activists get to cross off yet another long-sought goal, long-carried-out project off of their list under this corrupt, packed, and stolen court majority. So, bad news? 
But don't worry, even though we've got more bad news next in the Green News <laughs> Report, where uh, we will we will try to cheer you up, sort of, on the way out before we get out of here for the holidays. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Okay, I uh, kind of want to, you know, uh, cheer things, cheer if only cheer myself up uh, <laughs> before we get out for the holiday. Uh, we're going to play the Green News Report here in a second, but don't go away uh, after it's done or even before it begins, uh, because after it is done, uh, we've got a new song for you to play yeah. uh, that uh, maybe that I think might cheer you up. I don't know. It kind of cheered me up. We'll see. On the other hand, it could uh, completely wreck you. I don't know. We'll find out. But let's start first with our latest Green News Report. Canada's wildfire season is now officially the worst ever recorded. Canada's fires shatter records, sending smoky air back to the U.S. and to Europe. Intensifying rainstorms pose hidden flood risk across U.S., Plus, to remove PFAS from public water systems across the country is an enormously expensive endeavor. 3M settles another lawsuit over forever chemicals in municipal drinking water systems. All of those toxic stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. They want to take away your washing machines and your dryers? Nope, they don't. They don't want to give you any water for the washing machine. Also a lie. This is your Green News Report. Hey, sorry that we got to fire up the uh, Donald Trump fact-checking again, but... Mm. So be it. What do you have for us today, Desi Doyen? Well, smoky summers may be our new normal in the U.S. Air quality is again plummeting for millions of Americans, this time in the upper Midwest and Northeast, due to smoke from Canadian wildfires. This week, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Detroit vied for the city with the worst air quality in the world. The Canadian smoke has even crossed the Atlantic Ocean to hit the U.K. and Spain. Officials in Canada say 20 2023 is officially Canada's biggest fire season in modern history, with fires coast to coast, driven by unusually hot and dry weather. And it's not even peak fire season yet. Canada's wildfire emissions are also breaking records. Europe's climate service Copernicus reports that over the last 20 years, Canada's carbon emissions from wildfires have increased along with the land area burned. This year, Canada's fires have released 8 85% 
percent of its annual average greenhouse emissions. That's roughly equivalent to Indonesia's annual carbon emissions from burning fossil fuels. Abundant scientific evidence shows human-caused climate change is intensifying wildfires, creating a self-reinforcing feedback loop. As the fires send more climate warming emissions into the atmosphere, in turn, worsening global warming and wildfire conditions. Yeah, but think about all the money that Canada's made from all that dirty tar sands oil. Good point. In Texas, the relentless record-shattering heat wave has sent hundreds of people to emergency rooms and killed at least 13, including in the state's prisons, which mostly have no air conditioning. Wow. Extreme heat now kills more people in the United States than any other weather event, according to federal data. Especially dangerous are multiple consecutive days of extreme heat and warm overnights that don't allow our bodies to cool down. A recent Climate Central analysis projects that today's record highs will be average summer temperatures by 2050, with the South forecast to see two full months over 100 degrees. And Texas has seen triple-digit temperatures now in its third week. A different study warns that intensifying rainstorms pose hidden flood risks across the U.S. The First Street Foundation finds that rainstorms are capable of dumping significantly more water than federal data indicates in some regions. That means data used to set design standards for new infrastructure is outdated and understates the risk of extreme rain and flood events, particularly in the Northeast and along the Gulf coast. Climate change has increased the intensity and frequency of severe rainstorms in recent decades, and that is raising the risk of U.S. flood control failure. In accountability news, Minnesota-based chemical giant 3M will pay more than $10 billion to settle a lawsuit alleging that its toxic PFAS chemicals contaminated U.S. public drinking water systems. It's the latest among several cases pending against the company. PFAS chemicals are used in firefighting foam, nonstick applications, and a host of consumer products and are linked to cancers and birth defects. They're called forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment and are incredibly costly to remove, according to Scott Summy, one of the attorneys representing the municipalities that sued. These water systems have to install expensive water treatment in order to remove the chemicals. This settlement, being the largest drinking water settlement in American history, will go a long way. I guess they thought there'd be forever profits from those forever chemicals. Finally, some good news. The Biden administration proposed new rules to restore protections to the Endangered Species Act that had been rolled back by disgraced former President Donald Trump. The new proposed rules will make it easier to protect wildlife from climate disruptions and other threats, make it harder to remove a species from the endangered list, and eliminates a Trump-era policy that allowed regulators to consider economic issues like lost profits for the oil and gas industry when deciding whether a species deserves protections. Good. We will take what we can get. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. A good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good day. Yeah, baby. Yeah, so there's something. Yeah. Something is a good thing. We'll take them where we can find them. Yeah.
when they exist. When they exist. Oh, speaking of which, uh, as promised now, a uh, a new spin, if you will, and, and really, a, I think, a much-needed and long-overdue, again, at least in my opinion, update <laughs> uh, to an old... An old classic, an old 1989 Billy Joel classic that was just released yesterday, I believe. Yes. Was this? Uh, from a sort of punk, pop punk band called Fallout Boy. Uh, the band tweeted, uh, quote, so much has happened in the span of the last 34 years. We felt a little system update might be fun. Hope you like our take on it. I hope you do as well. Uh, I, and I suspect you'll need to listen to this one a few times to catch all of it. So yes. I will link to it when I post today's show at bradblog.com because I hear uh, sort of more every time I listen to it <laughs> so far. Yeah. So without further ado... It's Fallout Boy. Captain Planet, Arab Spring, LA riots, Roger King, deep fakes, earthquakes, Iceland volcano, Oklahoma City bomb, Kurt Cobain, Pokemon, Tiger Woods, MySpace, Monsanto, GMOs. Harry Potter, Twilight, Michael Jackson dies, nuclear accident, Fukushima, Japan, Crimean Peninsula, Well done, 
Fall Out Boy. Yes, well done, lads. Not uh, a great song musically, but as far well, as... Well, that you got to blame am, Billy Joel for that. Exactly, but um, I did enjoy listening to it. Uh, my, among my favorite parts, Bush v. Gore, I can't take, take it, it anymore. anymore. <laughs> uh, I like it. Now, I know a lot of people actually are mad about it. Oh, you yeah. can't do that to Billy Joel's song. Yes, you can. They did. I'm glad they did. I enjoyed yeah. it. We will link to it from bradblog.com if you want to give it another listen or two. There's a lot there. Uh, but we have got to get out right now ourselves, and we will be gone and traveling over the 4th of July holiday week, hoping you don't miss us too much, but uh, we very much need the downtime. Well, yes. Desi does in particular. <laughs> uh, as the fire continues, even though we didn't start it. All right. Thanks to our tireless, almost producer, Desi Doyen, <laughs> and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, along with any and all of the shows we had have ever done over years and years and years. Uh, at bradblog.com. All of that made possible by those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. We count on you. Please consider signing up for a donation, a monthly donation automated of any amount you like. It is greatly appreciated. As usual, it is very much needed. So uh, thank you in advance. Drop me email if you like. I might read it while I'm gone. I am Bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you might find me at the TheBradBlog. We will see you at all of the above. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That was the day SWAC leader Philip Murray beat back reports that the little steel strike had collapsed. Even as the steel companies were championing that the strike had been broken, Murray insisted that of the 90,000 workers involved, only 20,000 had returned to work in the mills that stretched across seven states. He added they were mostly supervisors and foremen and not production workers. Murray leveled charges against Ohio Governor Martin Davey that the Ohio National Guard was being used as company police to smash the strike. Strike leaders added that the companies were staging dummy back-to-work parades. In fact, Labor Secretary Perkins had announced that it was the government's effort at mediation that had collapsed. But the steel magnates were on the offensive and had the backing of local politicians and police. George Mike, a union man and disabled veteran, was the latest 
casualty in the anti-labor war. He was killed the day before at Maltrup Steel in Beaver Falls, Ohio, as picketers clashed with deputy sheriffs. In Indiana, police rushed to plant gates at Inland Steel to guard against new battles as 20,000 strikers prepared for the eminent forced reopenings of Inland Steel and Youngstown Sheet and Tube there. Both mills remained closed for weeks. In Warren, Ohio, police issued a warrant for CIO strike leader Gus Hall and two other strike leaders on charges that he was the brains behind a terrorist plot to blow up strike-bound steel mills. And at Bethlehem's Cambrea Works in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, two separate dynamitings destroyed main water supplies, causing an immediate end to an attempted back-to-work movement there. The strike was far from over. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Hi, everybody. Juliana Forlano here from The Juliana Forlano Show on the Progressive Voices Network on TuneIn. Do you like to know what's going on in the world but don't like walking away from your news show feeling all depressed or jacked up? Do you like political humor? Then check out our show, The Juliana Forlano Show, Saturday at 11 a.m., Sunday at 9 p.m. on the Progressive Voices Network or find us at julianaforlano.com.